It's time for school days. Help for moms and dads of school-age kids. I tell parents, you're like a training wheel on a bike. Your job isn't to make the bike move. Your job is to keep the bike upright. Those of us who are the true educators, we really want to be given the opportunity to educate the whole child. We can get free college degrees based on all of the opportunities that are out here and available to our students. Oftentimes, as parents, I think we want to protect our kids. But I think one of the greatest gifts we can give them is allowing them to experience adversity. Yes. Here are your hosts, David and Danita Bailey. Well, welcome to School Days, help for moms and dads of school-age kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. Today, our kids have access to people of diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, religions, sexual preferences, disabilities, all, the, all of those above and a lot more, both in person and through their use of technology. With the face of our world rapidly changing, what do we do to encourage positive interactions and reduce unhealthy biases? Today on School Days, we will sit down with a teacher and director of diversity at a private school in Dallas. She will share with us how to tackle these sometimes uncomfortable and difficult to understand topics of diversity and what we can do to raise kids who are sensitive to differences in their peers and others that they encounter. But first, David has a little special announcement. Yes, um, so um, last year I stepped out of the classroom um, and uh, this journey of uh, discovering where I'm going and where we're taking Noggin, um, part of this journey has been starting the radio show, um, which has been a great journey and I know I've learned a lot personally, like I tell people, this is the best professional development that I've ever had. <laughs> um, um, I've had other opportunities I was weighing about doing uh, consulting um, out of state, um, but through circumstances, um, easy way to say it is that the Lord is leading me back into the classroom, um, and um, I, this was not planned. Uh, this was not what I was anticipating, um, but um, there is a need, um, and honestly, everything I've been learning here on the show, um, I'm taking back. Um, I'm a year removed, I'm refreshed, I'm loaded. Uh, there are many challenges um, ahead uh, with where I'm going, but I'm getting back into my element of, of mathematics um, and higher level math for me because people keep saying, David, you're more of a higher level math person anyway. So I'm getting back to um, just doing what I love to do um, as well. And so I'm not gone, um, I'm just, I'm gonna be in the lab. Uh, cooking up what I've been like learning here on the lab. show. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, but I, I'm excited uh, to move on to this next journey of life. And, uh, but I'll be back. Um, and we are, we've already talked about, you know, the contingency of what we're going to do going forward. Um, and so I'm not gone, um, but I'm just going to be applying everything you're hearing. I'm going to be in there engaging the students and parents, particularly. Um, I'm really excited about engaging parents um, in a lot of this show because I feel like, you know, I'm empowered in a way that I never was before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, this is not the end of school day. So what we are going to do is have some um, special guest hosts here and there. Sometimes I'll host by myself, but sometimes I will bring on people that are professionals and sometimes parents. And so if you're uh, listening right now and you're a friend of mine, uh, be on notice because <laughs> I may be calling you to come host with me occasionally. Uh, but you've been amazing. And, um, you know, we are excited about your new journey and we are still going to have you on when you have breaks because you have plenty of them as oh, a yeah. teacher so we might have to um 
to do a couple of shows at a time. Um, yeah. Put some in the can so that you can still be a part of the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're looking forward to what God has for you in the future and what God has for this show with me at the helm all by myself. <laughs> yes, but she is just so ecstatic about everybody. <laughs> That's sarcasm to you. Yeah, it is sarcasm. <laughs> so sarcastic. But it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be yeah, good. it is. Change is good. Yes. Yes. All right. Yeah. But before we go any further, we do want to say it takes a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in and add the hashtag school days show and hashtag I am school days. And also, we want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 214-431-5062. So, David, who do we have with us today? So we have Nicole Franks. She is a wife of 20 years, 20 years, mm -mm. <laughs> and a mother of three, um, ages 21, 17, and 15. Uh, Nicole is the director of diversity and uh, academic coaching at Alquin School. Alquin. Mm -hmm. uh, Alquin, okay. Um, in Dallas, Texas, where she has held these positions for 15 years, Nicole oversees three diversity committees, conducts diversity training for students, faculty, staff, and parents, and supports off-site professional development for companies. Nicole has a Bachelor's of Arts degree in speech communication from Sam Houston State University and is currently pursuing her Master's in Human Relations and Business at Amberton University. So we are so glad you are here today, Yay. Nicole. Yay. And plus, you know, we've known you for a yeah, long, a long time, time. and long your, time. your brother-in-law was on the show yeah. he came and talked about mentoring chauncey franks from mm. uh tcu yes yeah, and, so. and so he was really good and i've had extensive conversations with you about diversity so mm -hmm. when we decided to do a show about this we thought for sure you would be perfect for this yay so yeah <laughs> so uh we were also saying that before the show this could really be three shows yes. so we're going to try to get through as much as we can and provide as much information to the parents as we can Awesome. So let's jump right in. All right. So what are your responsibilities as director of diversity? Um, so um, at Alquin School, I make sure we have our appropriate training for both our staff and faculty. Um, and also as things are evolving in uh, hot topics and news that age appropriately, we have uh, the terminology teachers need, um, administrators, um, actually everyone, so they'll know what's going on. Um, also, um, I meet with other directors in Dallas area so we can all be kind of on one accord what's going on. Sometimes we have siblings at different schools and we have to um, just kind of pay attention so we meet monthly. Um, and we also bring our high schoolers together to talk about hot topics and they usually run the meetings. We're just there to oversee. Um, also I do a lot of uh, going to conferences and understanding um, what's going on in public and private schools. So I, I do a lot. That's just the mm -hmm. pretty much sounds yeah. like yeah. Because yeah. I still haven't got to the parents and uh, parent education videos, books, literature, um, curriculum. It can keep going. Concerts. Going. Concerts. Uh, no. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she's just, hey, she could. She could. Okay. Anyway. All right. Great. Anyway, I'm missing. Mm -hmm. So diversity and inclusion is like a buzz phrase, mm -hmm. for lack mm -hmm. of a better mm -hmm. term. What exactly is that? So diversity, which is 
ironic because the derivative is divisive or mm. different. However, it is mean is meaning to look at the differences of people uh-huh. and their characteristics and how it comes together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so diversity should be a, oh, wow, I'm in an area where there are many different characteristics. And what does, you know, what does that mean? What do I bring to the table? What are my differences and what can I bring to the table? Mm-hmm. So you want to be in a diverse environment, school, work, church, that would be ideal. Right. So um, an inclusion is a little different. That is actually including everyone in their differences. So you're not just thinking of yourself. You're thinking of everyone and what everyone is bringing to the table. Okay. So and not excluding because of biases or anything, um, just bringing them to the table and including them in conversations, social networks, um, in different areas where um, you don't pick out, oh, well, you know, she has longer hair than I do. I don't think I really like her or hey, you have longer hair, you know, I want my hair to grow. How did you do it? Or is it natural? You know, having conversation of learning and including them and not excluding them. Okay. So what is tolerance? And is it, is this a good, is tolerance a good thing? That's a tricky question because um, tolerance is really, I would say, a step to understanding and getting to the level of inclusion and diversity. So a lot of people say, don't use tolerant because, I mean, I just tolerate you. Right. Well, if someone doesn't understand what they do or do not accept, first they have to tolerate some of those implicit biases that they grew up at a young age. So, yeah, you kind of have to tolerate it first to even understand it. Um, And people, um, there's a tolerance uh, by the Southern Poverty Law, um, and they do teaching tolerance. And it's just taking to the basic all the way to the, um, uh, not extreme, proficient in knowledge and they're helping you understand with literature videos articles so you start with tolerant because you don't know right and you can't say oh i'm inclusive because that'll get you in trouble when you say something that's not inclusive (laughs) or undiverse right so Hmm. you're learning start the basic and just understand what you're comfortable with and what you tolerate um and so it's a that tolerance where it has been um very difficult sometimes because people assume tolerant means I still dislike you and I hate you. I'm just tolerating you. And that's not necessarily the truth. So tolerance then is, I heard you say, the kind of the beginning. It's what you are okay with kind of. Right. Just the beginning. But then you have to grow from there. Exactly. Yes. So as parents, what are some of the things we need to realize about ourselves um, in order to begin to teach our children to embrace differences. Right. So as parents, this is difficult because as parents, we think in three different sections. We think of our past section and what we know. We think about our adult interaction and what we see, read, hear, and socialize with. And then as a parent, we're protectors, right? And so we have these different filters. And so many times our filters from our past and our adult we put upon our children mm-hmm. and they don't have those filters, right? Mm-hmm. So if I can give you an example, if your child says, why is that person so brown? Our initial reaction is don't do that, don't point, right? You just gave them a filter of that's bad, that's then, bad. right? Mm-hmm. And instead yeah. of saying, oh, well, they have a different <clears throat> culture than we do and they live, they may be from somewhere different, like our family's from Ireland, they may be from blank, 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 and blank. Um, giving them filters to see that differences are okay is what you kind of want to do. You don't want to be embarrassed. Um, 
everything about diversity and inclusion is uncomfortable, yes. especially yeah. when your children so embarrass you in public. Uh-huh. Yeah. But you have to breathe and take that moment and give them the right filter and not your implicit bias of embarrassment or what mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, preacher have taught you and put on the lens like, OK, I don't want my child to go in the classroom when I'm not around and be like, Brown people are bad because that's the filter that they're going to take in the classroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just thinking of an example. Um, one time we took, uh, we're picking up my daughter from Dan's class, and uh, we uh, shared on here that, you know, our, our middle child has high functioning autism. And so mm-hmm. he's just a straight shooter. Right. Um, and so, <laughs> so um, one of the mothers there, she's white, and her daughter is, you know, uh, the same complexion as my daughter. Mm-hmm. And my son was looking at, the mom and looking at at the girl and mm-hmm. and he just straight up said he said um why is she a different color than you he said you you are you your your skin is white and her skin is brown mm-hmm. and he wasn't he wasn't right. trying and, and my oldest son he's like why'd you say that what why would you right. know? and so he's like he's <laughs> like i really don't know and so she just explained to him you know um you know, her father is black and she's white and so uh, that's a perfect example of that and mm-hmm. you know and he was just being just being curious that's it curious yeah. a valid question <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It was. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> right. Um, so, as a parent, do I need to somehow educate myself before I start talking to my kids about diversity? Um, 100% yes. Okay. <laughs> How do I do that? Um, so, there's so much literature out there, articles, podcasts. There's so much out there. You, you have to be deliberate. If you're not going to be deliberate in learning, then you're going to be behind the curve when your child does say, you know, why does she have a scarf around her head? Or why is he walking with a cane? He looks your age or whatever. If you don't be deliberate in your research and your environment and your choices, you're already behind teaching your child. Um, So when you think about um, some of the literature that is out there, and I kind of have my books here, and I could not find my two I wanted, but I do want to share that literature, you reading the literature first, mm-hmm. and already coming with your own questions and your own discussion questions for you, and then when you can answer them, that helps you be more efficient for when your child. Now, I'll tell you this, children, you cannot, no matter how you try, think you know what they're going to ask you. <laughs> Because they're going to come out with a question. You're like, I wasn't prepared. But actually you were. It's just inferencing what you know and knowing your child and answering, putting those two pieces together and answering it for them. So like reading, um, I have a graphic novel here, like reading a graphic novel that is different from your culture. um, If your son or daughter likes graphic novels. Um, Also reading books that are not stereotypes. Um, so mm-hmm. like this book book right here, uh, Goggles by Ezra Jack Keats was one of the first ones all my children I read to them because it wasn't about stereotypes. It was actually about two black boys having an adventure in our neighborhood. And there's several different um, other books like that with other religions um, and gender and things. So it's reading that the other children who may look different, may speak different or may worship different. Find those books that just it's just different. It's not that it's, you know, it's 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 not what we do. But look like you don't want to perceive a filter of you're totally different from this. Right. It's just, hey, they do it that way and we do it this way. Right. We 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 all like sunglasses. Right. Mm -hmm. And goggles and how important it is to have your special blanket or your special toy or things like that. And that's showing that children that look or say or speak differently, they're, they have a lot of similarities. 
and not to bring out the differences. Mm-hmm. So let me ask so. you this. So is it possible to enlighten yourself without engaging with the ones that are different from you? Um, it's one thing to read about it and, you know, oh, wow, okay. But I can still, in what, what, whether it's religious or you know, sexual mm-hmm. orientation or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. race or whatever the issue is, is it possible to have a heart for inclusion without being intentional? Being inclusive? Well, I would say if you don't put action behind your words, you'll stay at tolerance and you don't want to stay mm. at tolerance. So you have to put in a little action, like you have to put forth um, effort, because if not, you'll just you, you still will have those biases and you will never go beyond. Because it's one thing to say, um, oh, I don't mind sitting next to a woman with a hijab and that's great. But would you have a conversation with her? Would you you know, go further in discussion of how is her day? You know, would you have the same discussions um, you would have with someone who um, is very similar to you? Yeah. So you have to have action to leave from tolerance to diversity and then eventually to inclusion where you can go in any store, you know, anywhere to purchase anything and feel comfortable, um, which is would be the ideal for everyone. No matter, you know, where we go, we feel comfortable. Yeah. Don't feel um, are they looking at my clothes? You know, it's like people with social, uh, low social economic status and their shoes are ratty, but you know, they may, and they're concentrating on, is anybody watching my shoes? I can't go in Nordstrom's. I can't go in here. I can't go in there because they're going to look at me and look at my shoes. You have mm-hmm. to realize we, we internalize things that people are not paying attention. Right. But it, it, it'd be so nice if we walk in and people, hey, what are you looking for? Can I help you? All of us, not some of us, but all of us have this great interaction no matter who and what we look like that would be ideal so you have to have action or either you'll just stay at a low basic level which is not bad at least you're aware um but you do want to do more than just be aware Um, wow we as humans tend to kind of live in a little bit of a bubble and you know in in dallas fort worth where we are we have a lot of diversity just naturally in our city but Mm -hmm. what do you do to find people that are different than you are maybe if you don't live in a more diverse place Mm -hmm. are there places maybe online you can go or what what do you do to find people that are not like you so there's a list so i'm going to stick with Two. So say, for instance, so the Dallas Holocaust Museum is opening up a, a new lo- uh, new building. And I was able to sit and talk with them about things that they're uh, presenting. And they want to touch a little bit of everybody. They just want to focus on one piece. They're actually talking about bully, bully, bullied and bystanders and being an upstander. Ooh. They want to talk about inclusivity and all these major key parts that we talk about in inclusion and diversity. Um, also, LULAC is another uh, great resource that you can go online mm-hmm. and you can just kind of know what's going on and have the vo- vocabulary you need to talk to your children about things they may have heard in the classroom and things. Like, you have to go eagerly um, and kind of yearn for the information because it can be overwhelming. Um, you may disagree with things, but you still have to go out there. Also, um, there's a center for uh, racial justice 
um, for education, and that is located in New York and in Dallas. Bianca mm-hmm. Anderson is, I think, over the Dallas, and she is amazing, and that whole uh, piece is amazing. And they have a part for parents to learn about how to talk about race in the um, classroom, but give, give the parents a tool to talk about it at home. So there are many... Um, avenues that parents can actively go look and at least get vocabulary um and sometimes we're at our phones so it's easy just to to uh, go to some websites and and find some information okay yeah, so there has to be some intentionality it has you, you to have be. to take initiative to say i want to um go beyond myself mm-hmm. go beyond my my world mm-hmm. my experiences mm-hmm. whatever that world is mm-hmm. Um, and to engage in another world. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if my family's world is not diverse, my church, my school, mm-hmm. my friends, my community, why should I teach my children's sensitivity to people of diverse backgrounds if they're not even encountering them? Well, they are encountering them. <laughs> I think they're not. They, so. they are. So when <laughs> Tell we me talk, different. We talk about diversity. The main thing we always want to go to is race, religion, the ones we know. Mm-hmm. And your child, no matter if everybody looks like them, that doesn't mean everybody is like them. So, for instance, and I'm going to use something graphic, which is for moms and dads, so this will be good. So if you have a nose picker in the classroom, right, or in your Sunday school or in your worship service, most people are going to point one finger, right? And three are going to be pointed back. So you have this lesson you want to teach. That person to you is, or that child is, oh, that's gross. That's nasty. That's where he is right now. He's being different than everyone else, right? But how do you teach your child? Now, this is not race. This is not religion. This is just a teachable moment for those higher moments, right? So if you're pointing at that child doing that, what things do you do that you wouldn't want people to see mm. well. or know about you, right? Because mm-hmm. that's a difference, right? Mm-hmm. We, we think the difference is only the major key players that gets political riled up. And it's not not for children. It, it could be that they didn't read fast enough. Mm. It could be that they misspelled a word. It could be that they were embarrassed because they're the only one without a backpack. So it's not, you have to look at the whole picture of the child. If we're going to talk about um, the classroom or at home, it's everything and be able to equip your child to be okay with being different um, in any source, short hair, long hair, taller than the rest in the classroom. So then as you teach those things, the hope I say is then you start bringing them out of their area, your area really, of comfort, and taking them to maybe a concert of people who don't look like them, right? Or taking them to um, another area uh, for a library experience that, you know, they're promoting a different type of book than your child reads, Mm -hmm. and everybody looks different, and everybody speaks different, right? And then you start taking them to a different grocery store, you Mm, know, you start taking them, right? Because you give them restaurants, restaurants, Mm -hmm. you know, different. I mean, it's amazing how we don't, we shouldn't change our life, but we shouldn't add to our life. And I think people think, well, I have to change and be different. No, just add. I mean, what's wrong with adding a new restaurant Mm -hmm. or a different shopping experience? Or Or documentaries are a great way to learn about different people groups. Right. Or reading different types of books Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, don't necessarily look like your child or even speak like your child. There's so much literature age appropriate from kindergarten already up to high school, college Mm -hmm. even. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, 
because of the way I was raised, um, I have unhealthy biases towards certain groups of people. And I think that's everybody. Yeah, it is. I mean, yeah. to yes. say that we if don't. We're, if we're honest, everybody has right. unhealthy biases. Everyone has a bias. Um, um, and sometimes we just have to own, you know, own it as adults. Uh, so um, uh, how do you avoid passing those biases along to your children? Um, and you may not even know that you're passing them on. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. Um, so recently, um, well, let's go back. So when you say in biases, there's implicit and explicit. Mm -hmm. So explicit are the ones you know. Mm -hmm. You know, right. I don't particularly care for redheads. No offense to my redhead people. <laughs> I'm just using that as an example. And you're redheaded. And you're redheaded, <laughs> and you're redheaded too. <laughs> exactly. That's my <laughs> So, um, you know, I don't like people who are, uh, you know, redheads, you know, because I feel like they're, you know, strong in personality which I am strong in personality, right? Um, so those are the things that you would say to your friends. Now, hopefully, you wouldn't say that to your child. However, children are very observant, oh, and how you are. treat people, they're watching. And that becomes an implicit bi bias for them. Mm. Wow. Okay? So things that you don't think your children are watching i don't uh, they are watching you like a hawk even though their eyes are not on you just like the same way with parents we know what they're doing and our eyes are not necessarily on well right. we forget it goes both ways right so they start building implicit bias and that wow. means biases that they don't know they have so that goes back to the example earlier you know mommy why is you know his leg shorter on one end and not the other um don't don't don't, don't say that they have just put in a filter that we said that's a bad thing mm -hmm. if one person is on a cane limping or whatnot. So they're bad people because if they're younger, if they're older, that's a whole different questioning, f walking through and the conversation your teenagers are having with other teenagers who have implicit biases and they don't know they're getting them from parents, TV and in 2019 technology. Right. Yeah. So they're building these implicit bias. So recently people have been trying to unpack what that means of growing up and grandparents saying, you know, you have to wear so and so to church or when you go to school, they, they can paddle you. And when you, you know, all these things that and it's putting meaning to certain people, environments and all these other things that we grow up with. So if I was a parent and I really want to work on it, I'm going to think about who my friend group is, hmm. right? And what we're talking about. Are we helping each other or are we bringing each other down? Those type of biases you don't even know you're talking about and think about your conversations and how that leads to the conversation at the dinner table at, um, you know, a restaurant and your children are listening to the adults. Or not even just a conversation, a comment, a or little a side comment. comment right. That didn't mean a whole lot to you, but it meant a lot to your kid got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and understood that it was a negative thing. Um, I was on an app, and there was a conversation, a woman, a Latino, a Latina, posted something about helping her sister fill out her benefits information for the school district that she was uh, had been hired on for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, they struggle with reading and understanding English. They mm -hmm. probably speak it well enough, but mm -hmm. it was difficult for them to read the application for their benefits. Mm -hmm. And so she just, she just was saying, I hope this is something that changes in the future because it was very difficult for us. Mm -hmm. She was cyber bullied and wow. attacked 
And I mean, comment after comment for a whole day and a half, comment mm-hmm. after comment mm-hmm. about how she needs to learn English and how she, you know, if you don't like what we're doing here, this is, you know, English is our, is mm-hmm. the, uh, the American language and mm-hmm. all these other ignorant comments. And um, at some point I was like, do they realize a human posted this? And with a with a problem because mm-hmm. they were just really talking to themselves at some point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I said that to say that we do have these biases mm-hmm. um, that we can just make an off comment, mm-hmm. um, and it's just something that you believe mm-hmm. um, that you might say that your kid is picking up. Mm-hmm. So we really have to work on our own biases and recognizing them and working towards not having unhealthy ones. Right. Um, That goes back to earlier, um, adult filters and children filters. Um, And I've seen where parents are like, my child wouldn't do this, and where do they get it from? And I was like, well, have you had conversations with other people? Have you had? And as they start thinking, they were like, oh, I had a conversation with my father, and he has a lot of biases, and he says a lot of things. Mm. Well, yeah, when you're in the car and you're talking to dad, and even though that child has earphones, they can right. pull them back and listen because it's grandpa. Grandpa's on the phone. I want to hear what he has to say. Right. And you would never know because you're assuming they're paying attention to the TV or whatever that they're watching or music. And those things filter through. And so, you know, when children look up to aunts, uncles, teachers, they mimic them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so those little bitty comments, even on Facebook, and, you know, with, uh, you think of your teenagers and how they're absorbing all this information. And if, if these adults say it, oh, well, then it must be true. People who don't speak English here, you know, that must be true. That's true statements on the Internet because they don't, they don't have those filters either. Right. Right. We assume they do because they're learning and they're growing. But our teenagers don't have the same filter. I mean, if we were to be honest, we want adults to, um, statistically speaking, 28 29 when we started actually go- putting our goals through 100 percent, not the 20 percent. i got a house got a car we're talking about full-on goals when we're thinking logistically i mean statistics tell us we don't really be adults to 25 28 right mm-hmm. so then you put on these adult features on these teenagers they should be responsible they should be able to do this their brains are still growing their brains they're not fully developed not <laughs> statistically they are not so having these implicit buys, they're stacking. So by the time they're 28, they've built up and then asking a the question, you know, if I have children, you know, where, where, where are we going to live? And they're already putting their biases on where they're going to live. Right. So I know as an African-American person, I'm dealing in my community. We want the better. We want better for our children. And what does that mean better? So now you're already saying the, the way I grew up wasn't good because mm-hmm. I think. I mean, my grand was a little off. Don't get me wrong. But I loved it, right? I mean, it made uh-huh. me who I am today. And I hear my children say, I'm going to do stuff different than you. You can try. But you're going to be I'd like I did my mom. I'm doing what she did because I'm responsible, goofy, silly. And I love all that about me, right? right? And that's also going back to what you said about how do we know? we got to be aware that we even have both explicit and implicit biases, we have to know that and we have to be deliberate because people don't want to know about that. No one wants to look in a mirror and say, you know, you no. said something that wasn't quite um, culturally appropriate. No one wants to say that. And no one's telling you not to either. That goes in a whole nother segment of microaggressions. But um, no one wants to see that they have these biases, whether intentional or unintentional. Yeah. But you got to be you got to be deliberate and 
our children are going in a different world and no one yeah. wants to recognize that it's not 1980s or you know you see the we all dressing like michael jackson right you had a blonde hair kid mohawk and he's in a <laughs> leather jacket and mc hammer pants and i'm with a curl and mc hammer pants and, and it's not like that anymore. i had a box myself you believe a, it or not you had a box yeah i can i can believe it yeah i was <laughs> rocking the box but i was in denial but my, my hairline was going back already so oh. th- it didn't look good i had if to shave it off receding box I did. Oh, it wasn't too oh bad. It dear. wasn't bad. Yet. It wasn't bad. 88. It wasn't too bad yet. Okay. Anyway. That yeah. kid could not have been good. I'll have to show you some pictures. <laughs> Please do. Yes. <laughs> you laughing too hard, babe. Oh, it was pretty funny. Fine. Uh, let's take a quick break to say that if you have any questions or comments for our guest, we would love for you to chime in. Um, give us a call at 214-431-5062. I'd love to talk about, since you are a teacher at a school and a diversity uh, director, what is happening in schools so that we can, because like we said, the environment is changing so much and just through technology, they're, in, they're encountering more than just what we'll, watch, we'll let them watch on TV. Definitely. They're going rogue. So they're seeing a little of everything and encountering all sorts of people. So what, how are schools responding to that? Um, well, it'd be difficult to, to answer um, because it's really a district-wide thing um, in public schools. And then in private schools, it's upon the mission and the vision of the school. Mm -hmm. But I can give an overall, which would be literature is really everyone's uh, stable uh, foundation to see um, the differences. Um, The thing is, it's going so fast, people are not writing enough books age-appropriate for all levels, Mm. right? Um, And all differences. Right, and all differences. (laughs) Because there's a lot. they're, They're picking up the pace. There's literature about uh, people who have um, different abilities than you do. There's books about um, uh, the LGBT community, both uh, transgender uh, and elementary school. There's one little book, um, and I have a list of books I meant to give you. Um, we can put them online. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll get them to you, um, about a little boy who was dressing in a dress, pink dress, and what did that mean in the classroom and how the children uh, we want them p- to perceive that he's not different. That's just who he is. And we all, you know, we're all inclusive. We're, you know, it's not about you saying different anymore. It's just about, oh, that's so-and-so. And that's, you know, I love when we read together. And I love when we go play recess. That's that's the ultimate goal, right? Or at lunch, no one's sitting alone in high school and things like that. So literature, is our, literature and history really is a staple foundation. But um, I can't use a, a one district that has something that I think is uh, – interesting because my children are in this district and that's garland isd and they actually have a liaison to the african-american community and the hispanic community so i have two different people to make sure the communication is getting out there uh, make sure they know what's going on in schools be supportive for both um, people who are non-hispanic and non-african-american as well as for the african-american community teachers students um, and so it's really amazing to know that districts and they're not the only one um, but they're trying to get out there to at least get the communication going and education now the parents they're responsible for going to these educational um, seminars that the district are holding because there's nothing like a parent being surprised by something their child has done. And I know the teachers, well, let me speak to I. I would be like, I know we present this to you already that you should have been looking for uh, in your child's behavior or going through their social media or, you know, certain things like that. And so when the parents are surprised, the district is like, we, we handed you information we needed you to do because we're a partnership, right? 
We're going to talk about that next week, actually. Oh, yay. Mm-hmm. Partnering with the school. Yeah, that's important. Mm-hmm. That's but, important. you know, we don't read stuff. <laughs> we don't. We want everything <laughs> quick and fast. And I think that if I would, if you were to ask me what would be the, the reason why we're not um, gaining the momentum we need in diversity and inclusion, it's because no one wants to read. Everybody wants to have the information given to them. Mm. And when we give it to them, um, it doesn't have any merit or doesn't have any um, push behind it because if I do it, I own it. If you do it for me, you own it, and I'm and I forget about it because it's not mine. I don't own any of it. It's right. yours. So that's why I encourage literature so much. You own that reading moment, even if you read the first chapter of a book. You own that. You have your own thoughts and discussion in your head, and yeah. you own it. With that in mind, what can schools do to partner with? Um, we parents that are not pamphlets or flyers or things that are coming home. Have you seen well, anybody doing anything that is helpful? Cause I'm going to be honest. I don't, we, I, I get overwhelmed with all the things that are sent home and it's difficult for me to keep up. Right. I just went to a seminar and that, that is the question. Like how do we engage parents to read um, the snippets. I mean, it's now to 140 characters in a text or use remind <laughs> right. me or use there's all these uh, apps that they're using. And so it's still the parents are like, it's, it, there is this um, piece about the parents that, oh, it's not for my child and not read it just because they assume, oh, that's not for my child. And then, you, you know, they're, the cliche words, just trying to grab the parent's attention that it may not be for your child, but it could be a, your child's friend. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be something to just support another parent. Because um, I think you said earlier, it takes a village. Mm-hmm. Um, and many people don't have that um, rationale anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to be an ever-burning question until, you know, a particular group, you know, fire up. And it's always usually something that happens to make people really get mm. fired up. And I think that's what right. schools, the seminar I went to, um, where everybody doesn't want that to happen. You know, we don't want to be that school in the news and now we're doing something. We want to be proactive. So uh, it's important. But I don't, I don't think until people are ready to be proactive, no matter how we change the communication and make it easier, they have to want to read it and want to buy in. Mm-hmm. I came across something that was really interesting. Um, In 2018, the College Board made a change to the high school AP history exam to begin questions from 1450 and course curriculum from year 1450. So there was an outcry with students and teachers, etc., that the change would present a skewed Eurocentric historical account to students and eliminate from the class uh, curriculum that was essential contact from 1200 to 1450 period, which includes the global trade network mm-hmm. state mm-hmm. building in the mm-hmm. Americas and Africa's or Africa, <laughs> not Africa's <laughs> how religion shaped Africa, Asia and Europe and intellectual science and things like that. So uh, that was a really long, not question question, but why was that even important that they would eliminate history prior to 1450 i know this is really a rich question it is a rich we can't question. get into a whole lot of it <laughs> um so I, I do teach history um at my school and in 12 between 1200 and 1450 there is a lot of information a, sh- a, a shift uh in how slavery was looked so one of the main people in that time frame is mansa musa um he was a west african king Um, And he was traveling from um, his kingdom to Mecca. 
and he um, had servants. He called them servants. The translation is servants. Um, but some of us would look at them as slaves, but they were even dressed in royalty, right? Um, they had gold. They, they, they were presented um, as if they were his everything as well as his, his whole, you know, court, right? And, and he was kind. Um, unfortunately, his sons were not, but he was kind to when he went to Egypt. Um, because of his gold and riches, the the uh, history is told that Egypt lost their currency because of him when he came in with his entourage, which most people think that's a whole kingdom alone, and it wasn't. And he was giving his servants, and he was doing different things. And this particular history of his trek to Mecca is so important, um, him being one of black king, a king, an African king, and with the riches. Um, he is, some people do not know, but he was, he would be one of the top five billionaires of our time today. That's how much he had, and he gave it away endlessly, right? That particular history is important for many reasons. One, the African culture um, and how it is explained. Um, one, we don't say Africa is a country, it's a continent. And, and having that terminology is important, right? Um, also, social economics, what did that mean for Egypt? Having understand the currency of gold and silver and linen, things that we don't necessarily think about now. It's, it's a lot of lessons that would help us understand and apply today. So that's just one upcry. And we can mm -hmm. talk about a whole nother piece of slavery, of uh, master and ownership versus oppression. Oppression started um, in that time frame as well. So yes, there were slaves. Um, we wouldn't necessarily what we define oppression today say that was necessarily the oppression it was but it wasn't what we define today so you look at some of the slaves when we can go back to egypt we can go back to um any part of uh west uh asia um north asia those pieces of slavery people actually had a house with some cat uh, you know a goat or some type of to feed on right they had something they owned something um for them to, to I don't want to say own, but they had access to, to order to live with their families, right? Now, when we look at the, the 1450 and you start looking at the trade and, and globalization, globalization, you start seeing the oppression of not being worthy, and that changes the whole meaning of slavery. And that is in that time frame. So when we take out, some people can say we're taking out um, meaning, not just race, but also social economics and what many different cultures contribute to the world globalization. Um, and, it, and slavery was huge, right? So you look at the social economics of West uh, Asia, Europe, then what happened in Australia, and you start adding all these things together, it, it's not a pretty picture, but it's a learning, like, Maybe we're repeating some history here, mm, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start take away a piece, a chunk of history, who's to say we don't repeat it? And I'm not saying we're repeating safely by no means, but our so, what our economics, our social, our class uh, hierarchy, different things like that. Um, there's things that we would learn from different cultures that won't be there. Now, this is my opinion, by the way, of my studying. Um, I talked to a few parents about this, and and, and not that don't just look like me. Um, like, why are we missing this piece of history? All right, of all the great wars, the Christian Crusades, and what, what did it look like in um, 1312? Because there's some important stuff to know about that. Luther and all, there's so much to know yeah. of religion. And, and so why would we take out that chunk? So are schools doing a good job of 
using inclusive curriculum as a whole and inclusive terms and things like that? I mean, yes. So I go to training and we all, yes. And having the time to implement it, you know, we, we have to do what we can do. Um, we're giving resources, websites, seminars, um, professional development and, and having the time to do it in the classroom. Um, now I'm a, I'm a different piece cause I work at a Montessori and IB, so I do have the time, but if you were to interview some of my friends, I think they would like a little more time for that inclusive. And some of them really work hard um, dealing with the teaks in Texas to, um, do what they need to do and also maneuver some of these, um, nuances like, uh, music, bringing in music in yes. the classroom, mm -hmm. um, even from rap to classical and having the children be able to do some differentiation of what does that sound like to you? What does it mean to you? And having group discussions. So, I mean, of course I would love it more in the classroom, but we can, you know, our time, our, our time we have during a day is, we have to do a lot. Yeah. We have to do a lot. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you're in a more of a homogenous environment um, with, you know, with, with, with race or with, let's say, even with academic, like a, an academic group, of people or you know people tend to move in cliques uh, in schools um, how do we become more inclusive um, how do we encourage parents to encourage their kids to I mean you 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 know birds of the same feather flock together no matter what it is uh, but you know I've seen even within a classroom where you have the kids who who know who know and the kids who don't know mm -hmm. especially in math math is one of those areas where it, you know something's gonna really mm -hmm. stick out mm -hmm. um how do we include uh if our world is not like you know it could be in the same race or same this type of whatever it is how do we how how do we encourage our kids to when they go to school we're going to go back to school uh, what are some practical things that they can do to be intentionally minded in how they engage their peers now let me make sure I understand. Is it the parents and how they? Well, how do we encourage how do we encourage the parents to encourage the kids to when they get back to school, okay. they're being more inclusive in and in how they do their day to day, because uh, right. that that's where the rubber hits the road is when they go to school. Right. All right. Um, I think one of the things that we talked about earlier was um, the. I think Danita asked me about children that are all the same in the classroom. Um, and I think I went to outside the classroom because that's really where it starts. Um, part one, I think it starts with if you're in this same culture that looks like you, whether it be school or at home, to venture out in different places. I think part two would be to talk to the teacher and have a relationship with the teacher um, and ask, you know, are is my child able to, you know, uh, bring in um, some history about a hijab, you know? Um, and I could be saying the wrong, I apologize. Um, or can my child come, um, we are part, you know, Polish, and he or she wants to share, you know, this food. Is that okay? Or at least a presentation. Like, partnering with a teacher um, is really good to bring in a culture that is different from what's in the classroom. Um, that's a suggestion. Um, again, timing, that could be hard. Um, and then also intentionally, um, putting your children in activities that, you know, a dance company that teaches 
in a different part of the city mm. um, with different people and they dance different ways. Um, I know I have a young lady. Um, she is a Caucasian and she is part of a um, black dance company. The parents nice. literally travel away so she can learn hip hop and everything. And it was funny. She said one of the parents called her and said, your child is teaching my child new dance move. And this is so cool because our family, have, we don't have rhythm, you know. And so <laughs> that one action actually spread some positive to other children who look like them. So, again, it's not about if we all look alike. It's about branching out, adding to. Right. Um, it's hard to, you know, statistically speaking, with all the great schools um, in the suburbs of Dallas, how do you say, no, I don't want them to go to this ranked number one school, and even though everybody looks like them, academically, you know, how do I take them away? Because we still have their future. So I wouldn't say take them out of the environment. Again, it goes back to earlier, add to their environments. Um, there's some things you just can't change. You can't change the makeup of your family. Mm -hmm. if, we are, if, if everybody at Thanksgiving all look the same, you can't say, hey, you know, I need some of you to tan a little bit or I need some of you to change your clothing or, right. you know, lose a tooth or something. You, you can't change their <laughs> makeup, right? You, right. Have to, um, you have to just add to your, to your environment the best you can. Yeah. So, you know, with, um, you know, the class differences and all those things. So if, if, if I branch out, of my world, if someone is maybe they don't have friends at school, or maybe mm -hmm. someone looks different, or mm -hmm. dress differences, or talks different, or they come from a different socioeconomic status, or mm -hmm. a different color, whatever it mm -hmm. is, I might be ostracized hmm. by my peers. Mm -hmm. I might be ostracized by uh, my parents mm -hmm. if I do that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes kids would rather not rock the boat, or sometimes parents may not want to rock the boat mm -hmm. because of being ostracized or judged because now they're going beyond their mm -hmm. the norms of whatever that norm mm -hmm. is for them or what's acceptable yeah how how would you encourage that family so that's two parts so you have your younger i, I call it the pre-hormonal child where they're beautiful flowers that have a little stink and just beautiful and swaying and then you have the ones that like what is what happened to the roses like this is horrible like after hormones so those are two different types of children okay um your younger children again are are sponges right so they're they're not thinking about rocking the boat unless somebody actually tell them you're rocking the boat they don't know mm. they're rocking the boat they don't know until someone actually points to them that they're rocking a boat so they wouldn't really know it would be the parents to give them and this kind of goes this is, could be a whole nother section bully bullied and bystander mm -hmm. and teaching your child to be the upstander right mm. teaching your child to again if you're exposing them to differences one you're equipping them for when they get pointed at because we've all been pointed at one way or another mm -hmm. right um you're equipping them to when they get pointed at to be like okay you don't have to like me i'm good when they're in the other stage of their life mm -hmm. because they're confident in their identities whether they're their uh, race identity is different than everyone. They're, they're the minority in the classroom on that piece where they have a different learning um, style than everyone. Um, they've, the pre, you know, the wonderful flower, they've been equipped. They've been watered, the just right sun, not too much, because you've given them the tools of having conversations about differences and inclusion you've given them all those great tools right mm -hmm. so then when the rubber really meets the road 
you know, the first hit, they might, you know, get knocked down. And then they're reminded, like, you don't have to like me. I like myself. Right. Now, I know this sounds easy to do. It is not easy to no. do. Mm -hmm. But practice and coming from tolerance up the chain is what's going to really be important. Because right. if you stay at tolerance and your child, so you're telling your child this and you're like, and you're still berating, you know, people who wear. Right. Adidas and you're a Nike person, right? I mean, it sounds simple, but that's true. A child will have a bias against people who wear Adidas and Adidas brand. That's what they're going to grow up with, seeing that bias. And that's what's going to be their staple. So you have to go away from just being aware and saying, hey, we use inclusion in our house to we're actually inclusive in our house. And then they see that and they build upon that. So then they're ready because I don't know if you've had been around teenagers, but they don't listen <laughs> very well. Um, I know my children are listening right now and y'all listen. Um, so they don't listen because they feel like they know everything. But guess what they think they get? Guess where they get the information? Everything, the you know, the pre-hormonal stage. That's why they know everything. You've given them so much. They soaked it up. And this is a little bit of research. I should have brought some of that with me. I'm not totally the eye perspective on that one. But, it, you know, it's research that they're taking what they've learned, um, chemically imbalanced brain shifts, mm -hmm. and then they, they know everything because they've been through pain. They've been through this. They've been through that. You know, they, they made choices not to do X, like mom and dad said, and they made choices to do Y, and nothing happened. So I'm good, you know. Right. But what did you instill in that time about inclusivity, um, besides just your how you worship or don't worship, how you um, look at people or don't look at people, how you accept people into your home or don't accept people into your home. What was that pre-time looking like for them to go into the world? So it's, it's, it's a two-person question, but it, it goes from not just staying at tolerance, basically. It's being deliberate. What would you say to the parent who, and this is this is a hard one, is concerned about enforcing their family's values or religious beliefs, how would you direct them or guide them in teaching acceptance uh, towards different sexual preferences or different religions? So um, I'm going to talk from a personal um, piece and not necessarily I'm going to take my diversity hat off and my teacher hat and talk um, as a personal uh, perspective. Um, I'm a minister and um, going into diversity, I had to think about, I'm going to talk about things that I'm not going to want to talk to talk about maybe. Mm -hmm. However, with my own belief system um, in Christianity, I had to figure out what was best. And I had to stand on staples that I was taught, and that was love. So my answer to that is to, I still teach that in my, I teach love first. Mm -hmm. And I teach our biblical principles and our children have a right, our three children have a right to, to make choices. Um, that doesn't mean we're going to agree with them. That doesn't mean we're going to validate them if we disagree, but it doesn't mean we're going to love them and walk them through. Yeah. And so your values, our values don't change. Um, it just is implied more and supportive and loving first. That's right. We do have a caller. Caller, can you hear me? I sure can. Okay, great. What's your name and where are you calling from? My name is Calvin Mann. I'm calling from Detroit, Michigan, uh, from my um, nonprofit, Encourage Me. I'm young and good fathers only. There were two things I wanted to do because I'm going to be jumping on a conference call here real quick. Here are two things that I think we all should be looking at uh, around education. One is 
collect them phones at the start of the school. We got to do something about the phones because the big distraction that the kids have, we got to get our kids back to practical. A number of libraries have reopened the whole nine. And I think that's an area that parents and all of us can help because we're losing our kids to a lot of drama around the cell phones. Number two is just reteaching respect. We have a respect day that we started four years ago. This will be our fifth year coming up around education in school. And we've been trying to get other schools and education people involved because it clearly helps with the environment. Mm -hmm. And our environment is what's really hurting education across the board. A teacher has to spend at least, I'd say, about a good 15 minutes just in correcting a student. So that 15 minutes could have been used to listening to the student, pulling the stuff out of the kid, and then allowing them to focus. Uh, those are the two things that I, I wanted to suggest. I know I got to get on this call. I love what you guys are doing. I'm gonna follow your page, and, and I appreciate the the tag. Uh, a friend of mine will tag me because we're big around fatherhood. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much yes, for yeah, calling. Thank you so much for calling. Awesome. I appreciate it. You have a great day. You have an awesome. So we have about thirty seconds. Any last comments for our parents in uh, this journey of of acceptance and not tolerance, but growing from tolerance and mm -hmm. teaching our kids to Include. value diversity. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that partner with your teachers, be aware of what's going on with your child and to tag on him, go through your children's phone, you pay the bill, go through their phone. Mm. It may not be them that is doing something, maybe a friend's life you're saving. Mm. Go wow. through their phone, yeah. go through their phone, know their culture, know your child's culture and be deliberate in understanding who your child is from the youngest to the oldest. And I would say that culture in your own family will help you define lifting from tolerance to acceptance and then inclusive where you just naturally accept and just walk in a room with people who may not look like you, talk like you, or speak like you. Mm. So that would be my my two pieces i love it thank you so much thank for you. sharing thank such you. rich nice information with uh, such rich information with us uh, yeah but we are out of time so thanks so much for joining us and as always at this part of the show we want to share what's going on with noggin so dave what's going on with noggin educational coaching so um we are just about there now and kids are in denial and parents are getting a little <laughs> happy uh, <laughs> teachers are in denial well then they'll tell them or not yeah they're in denial it's like last weekend for some of them but we're here um but is your child ready to go um and um, um my commitment to noggin educational noggin educational coaching has not changed or shifted uh, we're still equipping uh families and students uh we want to make sure that your child is ready to go uh, if you have um, SAT, ACT tests coming in August, early fall, um, there's still time to get ready. Um, you don't want to walk in cold. Uh, many kids are um, struggling because of that. We want to make sure that you're ready and know exactly how to attack the test and just how to start the year off right. Um, knowing how to be a student, um, getting those foundations, learning how to study, all the things that you're going to need for success. Um, knowing and just showing up and taking tests is not enough. Uh, you need skills, just like any great athlete needs skills. LeBron James has a coach, and he's LeBron James. So we want to help you no matter where you are on the journey, and you can reach us at info at noggineducation.com. It's N-O-G-G-I-N. And don't forget, we have a little less than a week left in our hashtag Bought a Backpack Challenge. So today through August 4th, you can take that challenge. 
Each summer, we collect brand new backpacks for students who participate in our summer math and pr reading program, as well as local students in need around town. So we challenge you to take the hashtag bought a backpack social media challenge. And it's easy. Buy a backpack, take a picture with your backpack, post the picture on social media and tag a few friends to do the same. That's the important part. Tag a few friends because we want um, as many people to pr participate as possible. And if you're not in the DFW area, but you have Amazon Prime, you can donate by ordering from our wish list. For more information, head to our website, nogginfoundation.org. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. So David, who's going to be with us next week? So next week, we welcome back uh, Dr. Fields. She's an assistant superintendent at Duncanville ISD. And as we close in on the beginning of the school year, she'll talk to us about fostering a relationship with your child's school. Uh, like we say at the beginning of the show, it really does, it takes a village. And so helping your child succeed in school can be challenging, but with open communication and partnership with teachers and administrators, we can help, uh, we can get the help we need to help them flourish. And I can say as a teacher, um, please reach out to us uh, and don't go over our head. That's the last thing. Don't, don't, go, don't go straight to the principal if you got an issue with me as a teacher. Anyway, I'm not going to be on the show next week, so I'm just going to say it. All right. Anyway, love y'all. I'll be around. So we look forward to that. As always, head to our website, schooldayshow.com, for more information. And remember, you don't ever have to miss the show. Ever. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and pretty much anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin Foundation. That's N-O-G-G-I-N. And do you YouTube? You can find episodes of School Days and other videos featuring the fun educational programs we offer at Noggin Foundation on our YouTube channel. So search for Noggin Educational Foundation. And do you want to do the last part since this is yes. your last show, babe? <laughs> <laughs> and last, we want to end by saying that Danita and I are parenting by grace. And we depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you'd like to know more about that, email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. Thank you and have a great week and I will see you soon. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.